Welcome to IEEE Tech Talk Innovation at Work. I'm your host, Allison, with IEEE Educational Activities, and today we're speaking with two battery experts from SGS. With over 2,600 offices and laboratories in 140 countries, SGS is the world's largest testing, inspection, and auditing company. Our first expert is Rodney Grimes. Rodney is SGS's senior battery engineer, and he has over 20 years of industry experience. For the past six years with SGS, Rodney has been responsible for overseeing battery and safety certification testing to a variety of standards, performing custom battery and cell level performance and safety testing, as well as hosting trainings in China and Taiwan for battery testing associates. Rodney is currently the co-chair of the CTIA 1625-1725 Battery Working Group, and he was recently published in Quality Magazine sharing information on safety for batteries in small medical devices. Our second expert is Patrick Allwine. For the past 13 years, Patrick has worked in the consumer products testing industry with a special focus on EMC, electromagnetic compatibility, and safety and environmental services within battery testing, renewable energy, and products for hazardous locations. He has worked with both large and small electronic and battery corporations. Welcome, Rodney and Patrick. Thanks for having us, Allison. Appreciate it. How did you both get involved in this industry, and what interested you most about it? So I'll go first on this one. I actually fell into it. My background used to be product safety testing, but in the building products industry, where we tested anything from walls, floors, ceiling assemblies, to anything that needed some type of fire or a physical property, bend it, break it, twist it test. When I came to SGS, they had an opening in the, in the battery division, working with manufacturers that were cutting edge, making batteries that were going in any kind of product you can think of in any part of the world. That's where I first got my start. And how about you, Rodney? Yeah, well, mine's obviously a tad bit different than what Patrick's is. I was at a manufacturing company years ago that did the cell phones, pagers, and radios. Originally, it was working on just manufacturing line, you know, pre-lithium batteries. And what happened is they moved me over to a sort of a prototyping line. And most of our chemistries were, you know, nickel is what the most common was back then. And then the new chemistry started coming around, and I sort of naturally progressed over to a test lab that was set up for, you know, our specific testing there. It sort of grew from there where we were just doing the testing internally. This was before a lot of standards were actually out there and started becoming in development. And I've sort of been in that same industry the entire time. You know, I was with the original company for a little over 17 years, and as I said, been here for seven-plus years. So I sort of fell into it just in a sort of a different path than how Patrick did. So you've both been at SGS for a while now. How long has SGS been conducting battery testing services? We've been conducting battery testing for approximately nine years in the U.S., but overseas nearly 20 years in Asia when we first got our start in Taiwan. And what other countries does SGS perform battery testing in? So SGS, being a global company, decided to set our battery testing capabilities up in a location that could fit any customer's needs. So we're really strategic about where our laboratories are. In the U.S., we're out of Atlanta, Georgia, and that's where Rodney sits. But we also have labs in China, Shenzhen in Shanghai, then Germany in Munich, and then Taiwan, New Taipei City. Let's talk a little bit about the different types of battery testing available. What are some of the most popular safety tests that are done on batteries? Well, first, let me tell you that some of the popular batteries that are out there being tested include lithium, alkaline, nickel metal hydrate batteries. And they come in various different sizes, depending upon what the customer is promoting. So it could be a AA battery, 
a triple A, a C, a D, a single, or even a PAC. Now, some of these chemistries require different kinds of standard test methods. So two of the most common popular tests that are out there are the United Nations UN 38.3, which is a requirement for transporting batteries anywhere in the world. Also, IEC 62133 is another common international test for battery safety of lithium and nickel batteries. Those two tests we see quite a bit. Since you first started in the industry, what sort of evolutions has battery testing undergone that you found particularly interesting or noteworthy? When I first started on, you know, uh, nickel was the primary, you know, obviously I had alkaline, but nickel-based batteries in your radios and even in your old cordless phones you had. Up. There is safety with those, but not to the extent that now when the new chemistry, the lithium came on, you know, you have a much higher energy density, so these are much better batteries. However, with that also came the uh, issue of safety, you know, fire, different chemistry that. So now, you know, the type of batteries you make, now you have to actually include safety circuitry where you didn't really have to put that as much thought and uh, time and effort into the nickel base. So when the lithium came around, you start having more testing required, but also every time something happened, now, you know, a fire happened here, now another standard gets developed. So it seems like since the advent of the lithium, every incident comes by, you almost want to overcorrect for that. You know, we start doing another industry comes out or another standard comes out to address that. So it's a it's an ongoing process now, but really since the lithium has started taking off, it's been pretty interesting the entire time since then. You know, it's been so interesting from him being on the engineering side of the house and seeing what he sees as these batteries come through the lab and then me being the front face, the new business development side of the business, talking to customers, some of the stuff that they have to deal with now because they make a battery that's going to go into a high-tech piece of equipment, they've had to learn new things too. So us being on the, the test lab side of the house, we've had to evolve with this industry that's changing very quickly. Speaking of lithium batteries, what tests are typically performed on them? Uh, a lot of tests that we see coming through the labs are things like short circuit, vibration, impact, crush, maybe overcharge, force discharge, or even if it's being transported somewhere like an altitude simulation. A lot of the tests, uh, especially with the lithium, like he's saying, those are common tests within a lot of the standards and are required. So. A lot of your tests, like you said, with the short circuit, for different countries and different standards, they may have the method of the test slightly different, so it all simulates a short circuit. Even though you, you may have tested for standard X and it's a short circuit test, it may be a completely different test for the transport that's the uh, short circuit requirement. So batteries may run through a gamut of multiple types of tests. It may have been short circuit for four different standards, but all of them were slightly variant, so they would have to go through the whole thing. So with the end of the year holiday season winding down, what types of tests are usually performed on batteries that would have been used in children's toys and holiday decorations? And then how does that process vary by country? Sure, that's a great question, Allison. The testing on batteries used in toys, it's usually done in accordance with the end product standard for a given country. So there are safety standards out there that identify what particular battery test is going to be required for a hoverboard or an indoor candle or an outdoor decoration that's going to be hanging on your house. It could be something like a shock test that's required or maybe an overcharge, or maybe a discharge, for example. A really good world example would be an electric scooter. UL2272 is a required standard for those electric scooters and they call out the particular battery requirement for that scooter. 
So SGS would test the overall scooter for performance and productivity, and then also the battery. It's the same as an indoor candle. There's a standard that applies to that, and we would test it generally to that standard. And it would let us know if they were going to require a full range of battery testing on a coin cell or just a one-off test. Rodney, anything you'd like to add there? The main thing I would like to mention there, you know, is the battery. Other than like the required UN33 for the lithium transport testing, and aside from IEC 62133, which is more of the international standard for safety, the battery testing and requirements are heavily driven by the end-device standards. So, you know, it may call out standards plus additional testing. A lot of times when someone asks, well, what does my battery have to be tested for for going here or there? A lot of it is country-specific, and then, well, what, what is it going into, and what is that device going to get approved to? Because that will be the overall driving factor of what the battery is going to have to be tested or certified to. So, Patrick, going to your example of the indoor electric candle, I would imagine those testing requirements would look a lot different than those for testing batteries used in more intricate electronic devices, such as mobile phones, or those for testing batteries used in outdoor equipment that would be exposed to the elements and to temperature fluctuations. What sort of similarities and differences in the testing process are we looking at between these categories? I would say from my experience, Allison, that yes, Every product category has standards that identify how the product's supposed to be tested. You know, like a computer example falls under information technology, and it isn't usually exposed to like harsh elements. So the safety testing that's done on a laptop that's going to be used inside is going to be different than maybe an, an outdoor land mobile radio or something like that. Piggyback off of what Patrick said, you know, uh, for the ITE stuff, in information technology equipment, it'll go in there and it'll have the battery must meet this requirement plus these additional testing. So it'll always go in there and then even your other standards that'll come to say outdoor equipment or something there, it'll say the battery shall have this plus additional testing that's outlined in the standard. So we definitely don't try to jump around and say, well, there's no cookie cutter answer for this because all of them have to have, if it's lithium, the UN38.3. And then a lot of it after that is driven by what country you're going to and what is it going into. So that way we can cover everything on there. Sometimes it's really hard to uh, explain to a, a customer something when they say we're global, want it forever. That's almost impossible for us to, to, to uh, answer what the battery is going to require for that. So, you know, without the specifics on that, but it's, that's just the way the industry is revolving around the, uh, the battery testing. We're going back a couple years here, but there had been quite a bit of news coverage on batteries exploding on planes. Since then, there have been new rules where you're required to take lithium batteries out of your suitcase before checking it in. Are there any recently developed or upcoming laws or international standards created to safeguard the consumer? And are there any new types of tests that we might see in the future to mitigate some of those issues? I think it's first crazy to admit that there's so many different types of batteries out there that are exploding or leaking or causing, you know, situations while they're being transported, you know, which is a reason why the UN 38.3 was developed. It's designed to help minimize accidents and incidents when transporting batteries. We're really heavily involved in transporting testing lithium batteries. We use state-of-the-art equipment that simulate an airplane in flight or maybe a train heading down the tracks or even a ship traveling across a rocky ocean. So not only do we test, inspect, verify, and certify products, we also participate in those committee meetings, the ones where um, they're identifying through customer feedback 
situations that are happening with um, batteries that are being transported, and they're going through the regulations that already exist and modifying them to make sure that they're covering some of the changes that need to happen in order to have these batteries first manufactured better and then tested differently to meet the new demands that are out there. So in terms of why this issue was experienced in the first place, can it primarily be attributed to a greater portion of the batteries being manufactured with defects, a particularly harsh method of transportation that the batteries have undergone, or are there some other significant underlying causes? And then what are some steps that manufacturers can take to ensure product quality? You know, I've thought about this quite a bit over the past couple of weeks because it is important. And I just think that based off of all the information that's out there in the news, just things happen. You know, there's probably always going to be bad batteries that are in the market unintentionally. Manufacturers, they give themselves the best chance of making consistently good batteries when they test and certify their batteries to the correct safety standard, number one. Number two, have a good quality control system in place. And three, have a third party conducting quarterly inspections of products coming off the assembly lines. That kind of ensures the integrity of the product that's coming out of the manufacturing and into the world. Moving over to the end user, are there any health risks associated with bad batteries that consumers should take note of? Ooh, absolutely. If you go to my LinkedIn, you'll see so many things posted about stuff like this. There's always going to be risk associated with batteries, either new or existing. When I say existing, I mean batteries that have been sitting out for long periods of time. These batteries, whether or not they're old or new, they can explode, they can catch fire, they can leak, and they can put on harmful gases that cause serious bodily harm. Also, during the holidays, button-sized batteries are now coming out of the woodwork because parents are getting ready for toys that are going to be given to their children. So there's a choking hazard associated with batteries during the holidays. That's why at SCS, we conduct follow-up inspections to verify that these batteries are still being made correctly and safely. Are there any useful safety tips that most consumers may be unaware of that you'd recommend in regards to using and charging batteries? Sure. I would say the number one thing you can do is read your owner's manual prior to installing any of the batteries that you get. Make sure you're inserting your batteries in properly. You know, the positive goes with positive, the negative with negative. Don't confuse those two. A big one is when your battery dies, take it out of the device and dispose of it properly. I can't tell you how many times during the holidays I'll pull out a Christmas decoration and have a battery that leaked all over the place that's just been sitting there and it just corroded. So get rid of those batteries as soon as you can once you discover that they're dying or they're dead or you know you're not going to use them for a while. And then finally, damaged or punctured batteries are not a good thing. Don't test those things by putting them in your electronic equipment. Get rid of those and use fresh batteries. So we covered battery charging and usage. Any tips for battery storage? When you're storing batteries, that's a little bit different. So some of the suggestions that I definitely have for battery storage you know, make sure that they're in cool, dry areas away from where um, children can reach them. Don't mix old and new batteries or even different types of chemistries. For example, you would never want to combine a lithium and an alkaline battery in a hot environment. That potentially could not be good. Just potentially, don't store batteries with metal objects like coins, paper clips in your purses or pockets. And we've seen a lot of that stuff in the news where somebody has loose batteries and they have their coins and all of a sudden their pants are on fire and it's a big deal. So be careful with that. And the reason for that is because it can create a short circuit and it could lead to an explosion. We've seen that before too. So, you know, just be careful. Just use common sense when you're storing batteries. 
you mentioned not storing lithium batteries with alkaline batteries. What kind of reaction could that cause? Well, so I want to jump in a little bit on, on this well, like especially with the when you say storage for like your lithium, all of your lithium batteries and your standards, they have requirements, whether it be marked on the battery itself or in the in the user manual or something there, that will give storage information. Because the main thing with uh, lithium batteries, even more so than your alkaline, the storage temperatures, like Patrick had talked about cool, dry place, they actually give, usually give you a storage range and a storage requirement. They may say, you know, if you're not using the battery, maybe recharge after a while. It's not so much a, an issue for putting alkaline and uh, lithium batteries together. You just, it is a good practice to not, you know, mix all of these together. But obviously, I don't think any of us is going to mix up a double-A alkaline with what your lithium battery is. But it's just a good practice to keep, like, like Patrick had mentioned, to keep everything separate. And uh, all of these uh, batteries, almost, I can guarantee you, on the labeling or in the management, they will have storage information on there, you know, what to do and what not to do. Speaking of what to do and what not to do, what might the process for properly disposing of batteries or recycling them look like from country to country? I don't have a lot of experience with other countries, but I can tell you that in the U.S., um, each city has deposit locations where you can take those AA, AAA, you know, battery packs and take them somewhere where they'll be safely disposed of. For me, sitting in San Antonio, Texas, any Walmart in the city is available to dispose of your battery, and also any of these little automotive shops that um, you can get your accessories from, they also have dumps where they allow you to put your stuff in there, and then they get rid of them correctly. And I would imagine it's probably the same in a lot of different countries. There's a, a location that you go to versus you throwing it in your trash, then it goes to a garbage disposal where millions of batteries are being dumped, and it creates fires and explosions that we hear about in the uh, news all the time. At least with regard to alkaline batteries, there seems to be some mixed messages out there as to whether or not they can be thrown out with household trash. Some sources say not to, some say it's okay. I know the town I lived in discontinued its battery collection and no longer told residents to recycle the normal AA and AAA batteries. So is it safe to throw batteries out in the trash? No, from my experience, it's not true. And maybe that used to be true back in the day, but now with hundreds of thousands of batteries, you know, out there in populations that have a million plus people, all those batteries have to go somewhere. So if you think about it like this, those batteries go in the garbage, the garbage man picks it up, he takes it to some deposit where all the garbage in, in your city is going. And then these giant bulldozers are literally pushing all the trash into central locations, running over these batteries. They're going to explode. They're going to puncture. They're going to leak. It's going to create a situation. It's just a matter of time. And if you think about some of the stuff that's out there in the news, it happens quite a bit. Now, I want to piggyback off that a little bit. You know, I think, like you said, in the past where the primary batteries people had was, you know, your little double A's, triple A alkaline that was in your device when they were done, took them out. Everybody's guilty of taking them out, throwing them in the garbage can. That wasn't as big of an issue. The big issue now is almost everything is going to lithium. Yes, granted, alkaline is still out there, and, and it's not as much of a concern to throw in the garbage. But with your lithium, even if a battery is considered dead, it's still unsafe. The lithium itself is unsafe. So this is why you'll see on your lithium batteries, you'll have the international symbol for do not throw it in the garbage. As Patrick said, you can go to your local Home Depot or something. They'll have different bins for you to dispose of the lithium batteries and stuff in because it, even if you think that battery's dead, it doesn't work at all. It's still dangerous because the lithium is there, so you can still have a potential for that. And that's where most of your problems and the fires come through. 
stuff that's thrown in the garbage can, you know, a bunch of lithium batteries on there, it's possible when they get crushed they could catch fire. So that is more of a concern than with alkaline because I don't know if any of us is not guilty of taking the double A's out of the remote, throwing them in the garbage or something. So even though there is recycling laws and requirements that, you know, in every country has something different, the lithium is, is the main concern there. With lithium batteries, is there a particular type of material that you think could overtake the lithium battery in popularity in the future? And if not, how do you predict lithium batteries evolving? What I have seen, you know, I don't know if they're going to overtake the lithium. We're seeing where they're doing different types of lithium chemistry, you know, a safer lithium battery that won't catch fire as easily. You do have a lot of startup companies that are working on new chemistries for batteries, and most of them are still lithium-based but they're maybe using different materials to try to make them safer than what the normal lithium ion that's out there right now is. That is the most popular out there. So you do have a lot of startup companies trying to make that, but lithium itself is a hazardous uh, material, you know, so we catch fires. But they're different going out there. But to answer your question, I don't see lithium going anywhere, at least not in the near future. You know, possibly new type of lithium-based chemistries will be out there, but I don't see the lithium itself going away. Yeah, it's the red-hot ticket right now, Allison. People can't get enough of lithium. You're listening to IEEE Tech Talk Innovation at Work, a podcast hosted by IEEE Educational Activities. We're talking with Patrick and Rodney about the future of lithium batteries, but I want to take a quick minute to talk about your future. Where do you envision your career in the next five years? Ten years? Whether you're looking to grow your knowledge or you're looking for new career opportunities, we have two new platforms that can help. If you're looking to improve your skills, there's the IEEE Learning Network, which you've heard me mention before if you're a returning listener. From core and emerging technologies to leadership skills and more, the ILN is an online platform with hundreds of educational courses. And for the first time on this podcast, I'm pleased to announce the IEEE HKN Career Center from IEEE Ada Kappa Nu, a new resource for connecting engineering talent with career opportunities. As a job seeker, you can create a free account to set up job alerts, access career resources, and even have your resume critiqued by an expert. To learn more about these platforms, subscribe at innovationatwork.ieeeorg slash tech talk, and we'll send you an email with more information. And now back to the interview. So it sounds like the future of lithium is pretty bright, even with the hazards. When you test the batteries, I'd imagine you'd also test what could go wrong. What kind of experiments do you run in those instances? Absolutely. You know, a lot of the standards actually have uh, requirements where we're testing at extreme temperatures, hot and cold, to go through there. Some of them, you know, based off of the rating of uh, the actual battery or the cell, and then some standards give you an actual uh, temperature that we have to test them at to make sure that they won't explode, catch fire. Some of them are, you know, the standard is not okay if, if it kills the battery cell, they, you know, the battery don't work anymore. They just want to make sure there's no hazard. And also some manufacturers themselves will give you extreme tests to run on, on temperature that are maybe aside from the actual standards. But yes, we definitely get tested at hot and cold extremes. Can you give an example of some of the extreme conditions tested on some of these batteries? And at what point do you see the most failures? How far above the expected use conditions or even the standard requirements have you seen these tests go? A lot of the uh, temperature testing is where we get some of it, most of the failures. When I say most, not all the time, but we have some tests for the IEC, for example, for the actual cells. We're running the battery 
the cell itself up to 130 degrees C and you hold it at the temperature just to make sure it doesn't catch fire or explode. You know, obviously that's not a use case condition, but I think these are more for the case like Patrick had mentioned, you know, living in San Antonio and somebody leaves their uh, their cell phone or something sitting in the uh, car and it's in the window, you know, obviously they can get to extreme temperatures. So much the standard doesn't care if it's working anymore. Just want to make sure we don't have a safety hazard. So, you know, if, if the cell can go to 130C for so long. So, there's not always one specific test that we see more failures at this. There's a suite of tests, and sometimes it's the overall testing of the unit. It may, they may be able to test this type, pass this specific type of testing, but the other testing gives them a problem. So, and Allison, one more point is that a lot of these manufacturers, they're competing with each other for, you know, market dominance kind of thing. So a lot of them are really punishing these batteries to see what they're capable of for um, bragging rights. So we see a lot of that stuff coming through the lab where company A will send in some batteries versus company B, never telling us who the company is, but just internally knowing that they're making a pretty good battery or they need some work. So a lot of competition out there. It would give them a good benchmark and some internal bragging rights of who has the tougher battery. Do you often find that companies are testing above and beyond the required standards? Battery testing, you know, there's many countries and uh, many requirements for battery testing. So uh, you get a lot of your manufacturer, a lot of them, they do the testing that's required. The, you know, the minimal, the transport, and maybe say this one standard, they don't do a whole suite. And I do understand that because testing of the battery is expensive because, you know, it's, it is safety testing, there's hazards involved. So a lot of your batteries only get tested to the minimal requirements themselves. However, we do see some of your battery manufacturing customers, they have their own suite of tests above and beyond what standards call for. They may give you a list of uh, testing to failure, so this is just a failure mode, so they can see well beyond what the standards require where their battery fails at. So they want to know where their danger and their failure point is, because a lot of them, you know, the battery packs there, it's tested to whatever is required. Some actually do additional testing to it. But there is a lot of testing that some don't do that, you know, hey, you could do this extra testing. But for the most part, you know, most of your batteries get tested to what they have to be tested to. After university, is there a type of certification that someone needs to run the tests? And what type of experience would be helpful in trying to enter the field? What happens on there, I don't think, you know, all the test labs, like, you know, SGS, we're an accredited test lab. And I think every test organization has their own specific requirements. You know, as far as that, I've been in, involved in the industry for many years, so, you know, I, I've seen it grow and come along. Like right now, what we have, if, we, if I have a new person come on, we have on-the-job training they're going to they're gonna get, going there, you know, you have to do so many of this type of test, so many of this type of test, completely supervised before we start allowing you to do other testing. So there's not really a certification out there to do UN 38.3 testing or something like that. The lab itself may be accredited to do that, but it is up to the labs themselves to have some type of training or uh, internal certification program to make sure that the associate doing the testing knows how to do the testing. And, and even more important than that is to know how to do it safely because we do have to understand we're doing safety testing so we're testing these and we expect failure. So, you know, it, it is very common for us, you know, we, we always have an incident, you know, at least once every three months because we're testing for this. So even though we expect it and we don't want it to happen, but that, that's our main thing when, we, when we're uh, training and all this to not only understand what testing you're doing, you have to do it in a safe manner because there, there is uh, dangers involved. Do you test any electric vehicle batteries? If so, what are some of the standards for that? 
And then for plug-in hybrid vehicles, I would think there'd be an extra layer of complexity in the testing and safety given the gasoline engine present. With electric vehicles, this is definitely a huge growing business, but you also have to take into consideration the testing house themselves have to be extremely cautious in the testing and safety setups for that. So we do have a setup for electric vehicles and testing that, that is our lab in Germany that does the electric vehicle testing. It's much different than doing the testing that we're going to do for laptops, cell phones, drones, you know, obviously the size differential, you're going from a lower voltage to hundreds of volts and thousands of amps. And, you know, there's the danger to not only the equipment and the personnel testing is different. A lot of your EV labs are set up specifically for that because of so many safety uh, parameters that have to be considered and all that. There are definitely standards out for uh, electric vehicle standards. You know, I believe that right offhand, I believe it's 2580 is actual electric vehicle battery standard. And then you have some for the, what they call a light electric vehicle, which would be more on your golf carts and stuff like that. So they have, have standards out there that are specific to that. You know, the testing, some of it is the same, some is slightly different. So there, there is standards out there specific for electric vehicles, you know, and light electric vehicles. I have to review the standard again. Since we don't do that testing specifically here, it's only when I'm dealing with the guys in Germany I'll, I'll look at it. But a lot of the testing, it's the battery in, in conjunction with the device. So, you know, you, you'll have a moving motor, for instance, even going back to like Patrick was talking about the hoverboards, that standard, you know, we do battery testing, but also we do it as a whole system. So what can go wrong? Because you got moving parts, you got the motor that's moving in there. So the same, you can look at that as the same way for your electric vehicle batteries, just on a much larger and much uh, more dangerous scale. Okay, so now we'll move into the rapid fire round. Are you both ready? Let's do it. Favorite hobby? Uh, for me, it's weightlifting and um, anything military air power. For me, it's hunting. Last book you read? Uh, How to Talk to Anyone, 92 Little Tricks for Big Success in Relationships. I'm the sales guy. <laughs> My, mine will be different. I have Canterbury Tales. That brings me back to high school English class. Exactly. One of my favorite books, and I actually read that book uh, usually once a year. Started reading that one again here uh, over the last couple weeks. That's a nice tradition. Last place you traveled? Uh, Austin, Texas for work, and then the Grand Cayman Islands for the family vacation. Uh, for work with me, would be up to Denver, Colorado, and for Personal travel would have been in North Georgia mountains. Three things you'd bring with you on a deserted island. Uh, for me, an axe, matches, and a fishnet. Myself would be knife, a flint rock, and rope. One thing about you that would surprise most people. I would say that... When I first went in the military, I was in a unique situation where my father was actually in the military also. So for six months before he retired, we served at the same base at the same time. So I was the one that actually presented him with his retirement flag, which is really cool. Wow. That must have been a pretty special moment. For me, it would be, I guess, back up to what the, your second question, uh, when someone asked what books I read and that type of stuff, it's completely different from what someone knows, knows about me with my hunting and fishing, you know, when I like to read a lot of the uh, old English type of books. Best advice you ever received? Ooh, I would say um, put people first and things second. Don't get the two confused. If you take care of uh, number one, which is people, everything else will take care of itself. Be humble and remember you're no better than the next person. You're no better than anybody else and they're no better than you. 
person you'd most like to meet? Oh, I want to meet Elon Musk. I want to see what he's up to. Mine's definitely, I'd love to meet George Washington. Oh, very different answers. Rather than meeting a person, if you could go back in time and personally witness the creation of any invention, what would it be? I would love to see the first airplane and how that process happened, the thought pattern that went into that, and then the evolution of where we're at today. Uh, for me specifically, the invention of the light bulb, just uh, moving up to that and see how everything really sparked from that point. And then on to our last question, what is the one piece of advice that you'd give to young professionals who are interested in possibly pursuing a career in the battery testing field? Well, you know, speaking, uh, you know, personally and from, from experience, right now I don't think uh, the college and universities have an engineering track specific for batteries. You know, a lot they have, you know, your electrical, your chemical, which are the two, two most common that everybody in my industry, the engineers, seem to have. You know, maybe in the future with as much batteries coming around, they, they may start having that path. But the most common is definitely, you know, either be on the electrical or the chemistry side. As far as someone trying to pursue this, I think one thing a lot of the students should know is there's committees, there's trade shows that are always out there, you know, almost monthly that are battery specific. And if these students can go to these trade shows, you'll not only see test engineers like myself who are on the actual testing side with the large testing companies, but also they'd be surprised at how many companies and manufacturers make batteries or sales or have something to do with that. So they could go in and see both sides, the testing side, if that's what they're interested in, or the other side. But by all means, they could come up and talk uh, to us because normally with these, you have a sales associate and an engineer there and absolutely come up, speak with us. We'd be more than happy to explain to them. But as far as advice, that would probably be the best thing for them to do right now, you know, stay in the electrical and chemical side and then go to some of the shows that are out. And with that good advice, Rodney, Patrick, it's been a pleasure having you on. Well, thank you, Allison. Really appreciate it. Can you tell our audience where they can go to follow you online? The general website is just www.sgs.com. And although that's a massive website, if you really want to find us, you absolutely will. It's a little easier if you just go through LinkedIn. We post a lot of interesting things about battery and safety, so we can be a good resource for you for staying up to date on the daily happenings. And we'll put your LinkedIn information down in the show notes. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks, Alex. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning into IEEE Tech Talk Innovation at Work. Never miss an episode. Subscribe at innovationatwork.ieee.org slash tech talk. Plus, we have a special offer for those of you listening before January 31st, 2020. When you subscribe, we'll email you a discount code eligible for a few select courses on the ILN. Topics include autonomous vehicles, verbal communication skills, and data privacy. We'll also send you links to some of our free on-demand webinar recordings if you're interested in checking those out. Thanks again for listening, and let us know who you think we should interview next by leaving a review or comment. Bye!